Jocelyn Returner is professor of sociology at Harvard University and director of undergraduate studies in the sociology department. She is also the author of Women in War and has been working in El Salvador for 25 years. Welcome, Jocelyn. Thank you, Jen. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I've been doing interviews with people on other elections, on presidential elections. There's a election coming up in Salvador, which is only for Congress. Why should we care? Uh, yes, this is the election for a unicameral uh, legislative assembly at the national level, but then also the, the mayors throughout the country, the, the alcaldes. Uh, and it's a remarkable election because we're seeing a huge power shift in uh who uh, who owns political power in El Salvador? Uh, the, at the last presidential election, a new candidate from a new party named Nayib Bukele was uh, elected, and he has been putting forward a number of changes and initiatives that many people worry are anti-democratic. Uh, anti and the one thing holding him back right now is that he does not have a party presence in the legislative assembly. But with this upcoming election on Sunday the 28th, uh, he is putting forward a party and a list of candidates. And if his party were to gain power within the Legislative Assembly in El Salvador, then there would be nothing stopping him from pushing forward his, his uh, agenda. So I understand that despite these um, anti-democratic measures, that Bukele is extremely popular. Extraordinarily popular, yes. And how how do you account for that? How do you account for that? It's uh, El Salvador, as you know, has a long history of uh, polarization and violence that ended in the Civil War in 1992, um, or the Civil War ended in 1992. And by 1994, we'd really set up a system where there were two major political parties, the FMLN and ARENA. ARENA was a party of the right. The FMLN was the party of the left. Um, so people had really sort of fallen into those two camps with occasional additional parties popping up along the way. Over the years, there's been a huge uh, disappointment with both those parties among the population on both sides. Uh, both parties were uh, ended up being very corrupt, they ended up being very hierarchical, and uh, didn't seem to deliver on their promises. When Nayib Bukele first came on the scene, uh, he was elected as the mayor of San Salvador for the FMLN. And there was a lot of reason, there were a lot of reasons to be optimistic about his, uh, his approach to politics um, in that he seemed to be sort of apolitical. He was uh, thinking about how to improve garbage pickup in the city. He was building new libraries or uh, sort of community markets where people could go sell their goods and maybe get internet. And uh, there was a sense that he was doing this based on who most needed the service rather than who would get his party at the time the FMLN elected. 
Uh, at that time, there was some big kerfuffle. There's various stories about what happened, but the FMLN voted to kick him out of the party. And that's when he started his new party, Nuevas Ideas. Um, when he ran for president this last term, uh, I actually know a number of people who were longtime members of the FMLN who had family members who died in the war fighting for the FMLN and who never, ever thought they would leave the FMLN, who ended up voting for Nayib Bukele instead of the FMLN because they did feel like perhaps he was a promise of change. And it was not so much a vote for Bukele as a vote to tell the FMLN, you failed us. We are not delivering what you promised. We want something new. Bukele was elected largely by saying, I'm not those other two parties. That was actually his his uh, phrase. Uh, no more of the same on the other parties. I'm something new. But he was very uh, careful not to take any political positions. He wouldn't show up to debates. He wouldn't say I'm for or against this or that other. His whole idea was I'm not the same old, same old. And so a lot of people interpreted that at the time as uh, something optimistic, you know, that maybe he was open to different ideas of how to do things. But over the last few years, it's become clear that he actually just doesn't have a real agenda on any of those issues. And so there's been a lot of concern by the same people who voted, at least among the people I know who voted him in, that he still hasn't come down on any particular political platform. Other okay, than so he doesn't have a real agenda. And you have people who are, you have 84 members of the National Legislative Assembly. Um, you've got the local f officials. I think there are almost 300 of them mm -hmm. and 20 members of the Central American Parliament. Mm -hmm. So how do you see this election is shaping up? Um, if but Bukele's uh, platform, I think he has 84 different candidates running for the deputies in the Legislative Assembly. And if uh, they were to get, I believe it's 56, they would have a supermajority in the Legislative Assembly. And so they could do a, a number of different things, including uh, being able to appoint the new attorney general without any input from various parties, for example. Another thing that Bukele is trying to do is to um, uh, revise the Constitution, right? He's putting forward this notion that they need to look at the Constitution and, and, and rethink it. And uh, a lot of people are concerned that he's going to try to extend the presidential, the limits on a presidential term so that he can stay in office longer. So that would be another one of those things that he could do much more easily if, if he had control of the Legislative Assembly. And how likely does it look that he will gain control of the Legislative Assembly? His popularity right now is in the upper 60 percent, 60 to 70 percent. And, and uh, the indications, the various polls I've seen suggest that it's he's likely to gain a majority in the Legislative Assembly, if not um, the, the supermajority. And so I, it, I, I don't think people have a real clear sense as to what's going to unfold. And, and people don't vote for parties. They vote for individuals mm -hmm. at the level and so there certainly are people from other parties who are very uh, popular as well but it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds and it'll be interesting to see how Bukele's fame plays out for the people running. The people running interestingly um, 
are the, uh, the El Faro, one of the, the local newspapers, has kind of put his candidates into three groups. One they called the same as always, and which is interesting because Bukele has sold himself as somebody who's just different from what the, the two parties have been in the past. But many of the people running for uh, his new party uh, are people who were leaders and often corrupt leaders from the old parties in the past. And so it's the same people, just uh, uh, newly branded. Um, but there's also a number of people who are very young, who were had posts within his administration. So people who uh, had various ministerial posts or sub subposted ministries are now running for office as well. And then there's a lot of people who just are fairly unknown. They don't have a history of politics, and it's not clear where they're coming from. Um, so it, it, it's people are having a hard time predicting what will happen with some of these candidates. Um, you asked earlier, too, about why do Bukele is so uh, popular. And I, I, I said one thing, which is like he's not the same old, same old, or at least he's portraying himself as not the same old, same old, which I think is part of it. The other part of it is Bukele, uh, like some other populist leaders lately, have been very uh, adept at using social media to portray himself as a very likable kind of person. So he's oftentimes, um, he, he tweets frequently, he's on Facebook frequently, uh, he's very joking, jovial and joking with the population. And early on again, people were pretty optimistic about the fact that he did have you know, a large part of the public following along and involved in politics. And he um, hired younger people to go out and be parts of the the the, the to lead the very minis various ministries and to really be involved in the people. And there were stories that he would, you know, really tell people, you know, to get out there, sit on the floor, really meet the people. And so there was a sense early on that he was great at mobilizing people to be involved in politics. And I think a lot of people got excited about that early on. But over time, again, it seems that this politics has become much more focused on keeping him and his friends in power and wealthy. There certainly are concerns of corruption um, and and folding in money and power to to hit uh, Nick Bukele and his, his inner circle. And there's also real concerns that this jovial joking nature has increasingly taken on a really misogynist um, uh, and authoritarian tendency. Mm -hmm. uh, he recently, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but he recently put forward a picture of himself. Um, there's a movie called The Dictator, I think, and he had put his face on the picture of the dictator and thought this was really funny. But, uh, you know, he's joking about being a, a violent dictator of his own country, and a lot of people didn't find that very funny. You mentioned the word misogynist. I'm yes. wondering, in all these candidates, um, what is the gender breakdown? What does that look like? Uh, I, uh, in uh, uh, just among his deputies, I don't know at the level of the uh, of the mayor's positions, but I saw in this article that of the uh, eighty six, I think, candidates that are running for a deputy in the Nueva Cibeas party, about two thirds of them are men, one um, one third are women, and so there's certainly more. Uh, it's more than that. It's like sixty. 60 something to 20 something. Um, so it certainly is masculine in that aspect. I think a couple of other things that have come up. One is um, 
Walter Araujo, Araujo, who is a longtime candidate um, in the ARENA party, has now moved to the Nueva Cideas party. And he's running against, a, uh, or he was running against a woman named Berta de Leon. And in his public media presence on Facebook and the like, he used extraordinarily derogatory words uh, for women. Uh, in his posts to describe uh, his female candidate. She actually, she's a lawyer. She actually took him to the the uh, Supreme Tribunal Court in El Salvador and said, look, you're supposed to be a person of upstanding character to run for office. And if you're using this, these kinds of very, very derogatory words uh, for women to describe your candidate and your uh your social media posts, maybe you shouldn't be allowed to run. And they actually found in favor of her. And so they, they took away his candidacy. And, and so she's running against someone else now, which was a victory. Um, but I recently saw in another post, let me see, one of these uh, less well-known candidates who's running for San Miguel. Uh, um, you know, back in 2012, 2013, he was known for having a social media presentation that was very misogynist. And so he had uh, things that people have uh, captured in screen posts that said something like, um, to, to renovate the kitchen for a woman is, if you want to expand a woman's horizon, renovate her kitchen. Um, uh, a woman without breasts is like clothing without pockets. You never know where to put your hands. Um, if men, if you want, if you want to kill your wife and have it uh, appear to be an accident, just uh, give her a car and ask her to drive stick shift. Same, some things like that. So some very sort of terrifying um, kinds of humorous misogyny that comes up that is sort of, I think, making some of these candidates seem likable to uh, part of the population that, that sees them as not the same old, same old, but someone you could sort of have a beer with and joke with. And I think it's worth noting that when Berta de Leon did win this argument against Walter de Arajo, Arajo, excuse me, um, and he had to leave the candidacy because of the kinds of things he put on social media. Her social media page was immediately filled with people saying the same things and worse about her um, as well. So it, it, it is similar to the United States in that social media has become a huge part of this campaign and it's been very vicious, the kinds of things that have been on social media. Uh, and I, I think it's another one of those elements that doesn't feel very conducive to the kinds of uh, democratic debate of issues and evidence and uh, with respect that, that we hope for in political elections. Um, voters in, in El Salvador don't have any obligation to go to the polls. What is being predicted in terms of turnout? Is this an election which is exciting people or is this election where people are just saying, well, it doesn't really matter? That is, I have not seen predictions on this. I'm sure they're out there, but I, I wouldn't want us to say um I, I don't know what the polls say. Um, I, I do know from my own circles that people are very, uh, there are a number of people who are very pro Bukele and who will still go vote strictly for his party, regardless of whether or not they know people about his candidates. And, and there's, there's still, this group of people seems to have a very strong, I'm just not voting for the old parties. We need something new. 
line. Then there's another group of people who are very concerned with the increasing authoritarian tendencies of Bukele, which I think the, the sort of emblematic example is that he called uh, the military to come in and sort of force a vote in the legislative assembly with uh, when it was in session last February. So some of these kinds of things have people very worried that if he is also able to gain uh, the legislative uh, power in the legislative assembly, that there won't be anything stopping him. And so those individuals are going out to vote, but there's not a clear there's not a clear alternative, right? So they're voting for other people that they like, but oftentimes they're voting across the parties, um, not just ARENA and the FMLN, but they're also voting for another new party called Nuevos Tiempos that seems to have uh, a whole new vibe that's much more feminist oriented. And so so uh, it's, it's unclear to me how that will all unfold. It's such a new experience in El Salvador after so many decades of having these two primary political parties to have one, you know, two brand new parties that seem to be taking up a lot of the airtime right now is is really remarkable. And, and what sort of, um, you say that Nuevo, Nuevo Tiempos is more feminist, but what other sort of... <laughs> this is a crazy story, too. Yeah, so uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Johnny Wright Soul, who, uh, Johnny Wright was born in El Salvador, and when he was a young kid, he and his... I believe his dad was Salvadoran and his mom was uh, from the United States. He moved back to the United States with his mom. So he did sort of elementary high school and college in the United States. He worked in the United States for a while as a firefighter before he got a degree um, in political science from Georgetown University, I believe. And then he went back to El Salvador where he ran for a deputy position and he was elected with the Arena Party, the party of the right. He comes from a family of old money, uh, comes from a right-wing family in El Salvador, and his policies in terms of how he thinks about the economy certainly put him in the right-wing camp. However, he and a group of other uh, sort of people in his, I don't know, sort of that mid-30 age, I would guess, uh, are much more socially advanced or progressive than the older generation of these more right-wing old money families in El Salvador. And they have been pushing for LGBTQ rights. They've been pushing to see a change in how El Salvador thinks about sexual education, how it thinks about its extraordinarily strict anti-abortion legislation, some of the strictest in the world. and they have gotten increasingly frustrated with the Arena Party because of its unwillingness to move on these social issues. And so under Johnny Wright's soul, they have started another party as well that they're calling Nuevos Tiempos, right? So we have Nuevas Ideas with Bukele, we have Nuevos Tiempos with Johnny Wright's soul. And it's an interesting uh, partnership in many ways to see some of the more feminist progressive the the groups that are progressive on social issues in el salvador are migrating towards nuevos tiempos because it's the only party that's willing to take on these more progressive these more socialist issues even though many people at the leadership of this party tend to be more right-wing when it comes to economic uh, issues. And so, again, we're just seeing this huge realignment of, you know, El Salvador it used to be you sort of knew the family name, you knew the family history, you could put them on the political spectrum. But we're really seeing this move around a lot. And we're seeing these old two giant parties uh, 
seem to be disintegrating in some way and these new parties moving in. And I think it will be really fascinating to see how it all unfolds next week in the elections. So some people will be listening to this before the election. And since it st- since this interview will stay in our Faculty Voices website, some people will be listening after the election. So what are the takeaways? If Bukele wins the um, majority in this, what should we be looking for? How should we interpret the elections? Uh, absolutely. So... Bukele has overwhelmingly, he's been uh, extraordinarily successful at staying popular and he's been extraordinarily successful at marketing his uh, his administration and uh, from what a lot of the reports are suggesting, uh, enriching himself and enriching other people in his, his group. Um, He's done this in part by sort of tying himself to President Trump, making El Salvador more open to Trump's uh, plans of sort of uh, limiting Central American uh, migration, opening the doors to various asylum cases in El Salvador and the like. I think if the the biggest fears, uh, if Bukele wins uh power within the, if his party wins power in the legislative assembly is that he will change the constitution to allow himself to stay in power longer, that there will be an increasing militarization of um, various uh, sort of dealing with criminals and gangs and various public services in El Salvador, um, and that there will continue to be a tremendous amount of resources in El Salvador spent towards uh marketing and publicity aimed at keeping themselves in power rather than taking on real issues, right? So, for example, the Bukele administration has launched the state-run newspaper, and the state-run newspaper spends millions of dollars basically celebrating the things that the state supposedly does, um, but uh, and attacking the, the, the media, the, the, the other media sources in El Salvador. Um, Bukele's made a big deal out of, you know, handing out however many packages of food to people during COVID, but it's very unclear that those packages are arriving to people who actually need them and not just, uh, you know, his neighbors and the like as well. And so I think what we need is to really pay attention to um, questions of democratic freedoms in El Salvador, freedom of the press, um, freedom to move, freedom to you know, keep keep the military separate from from civilian life in El Salvador, and uh, I would really like to see people push Bukele to. Well, and there certainly needs to be a reckoning about corruption and investigations into corruption, but I would also like to make sure that um, there's some sort of push to have a platform, to have an agenda, to really have a thoughtful way forward to think about how to address the very real problems that El Salvador is facing in terms of crime, in terms of economic development, in terms of the the pandemic, which is ravaging, uh, you know, the, the whole world at this time. I'd like to see more uh, proactive ways forward with that. Mm-hmm. And um, how significant are the mayoral elections? What will that tell us? What difference will that make? I think the mayoral elections will really tell us how 
how much power Nuevas Ideas has to stay throughout the country, whether or not this is really a broad coalition that, that is even uh, trickling down to the local level, or whether it really is just something about the, sort of a, an understanding at the federal level as well. But it's just an indicator. It's not going to mean that um, Bukele's power goes more efficiently down to the grassroots or change in policy. I'm not sure. Um, the, a lot of local politics is done at the municipal level. Municipal governments don't have a lot of money. Uh, to work with, and they typically have a mayor as well as a, a, a council of some sort to to run the business. And so, um, I suspect that there could be some concerns about how money is distributed variously to different municipalities. But um, yeah, for me, it would be more of an indication of whether or not the party. Right now, it's very much a sense that Bukele is the Nueva Ciudad party, right? You ask what Nueva Ciudad stands for, and it's just, we like Bukele. That's the only response you get. And so it does feel to me like it's a, a federal level phenomenon. But I think it would be very interesting if this does um, move to the local level. I think there would have to be uh, increasing senses to what people are doing. Right. Like, like, what does this party stand for um, at all levels of government? You would anticipate that there would have to be some more actions associated with the party. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you see Nuevos Tiempos as taking votes away from Bukele or away from the FMLN um, or Reina? That's uh, a really good question. Um, Ironically, given that many of the people in Nuevos Tiempos originally came from Arena, I don't, it, it feels like it's, it's hard. Oh, I, I, I honestly don't know. I don't think Nuevos Tiempos will get a lot of votes, honestly. I think they'll, they'll win a few, few seats. Um, I think there are a number of people who are disappointed with the left that probably feel like Nuevos Tiempos is one of the few options that are available to them because at least they're sort of uh, progressive on their social uh, issues. It's hard for me to imagine anyone that votes for Arena being comfortable uh, with, with Nuevos Tiempos because of not just the progressive social issues, but the kinds of people that that's pulling into uh, to support the party. But, you know, I do think there is this new younger generation, the second generation of ARENA people who oftentimes were educated abroad, like uh, Johnny Wright Stoll himself, who really feel like the party needs to be moder mo modernized. Um, and so, yeah. It could be pulling from from Arena as well. I'm sorry, I really don't know. But I think that's what's so interesting about this moment in El Salvador is it really just feels like there's a, a massive shift going on um, in alignments, and it's not clear yet whether and how those alignments match up with various platforms. So, if we are assuming. Um, and we may be wrong, we've been wrong before, that Bukele will win the majority. What does that mean for U.S.-Salvador relations? Um, I think regardless of whether or not Nuevas Ideas wins, uh, there's a real reckoning going on 
for Bukele right now in relation with Biden. He had, you know, certainly aligned himself with Trump. Uh, Bukele had also hired, uh, there, there were a lot of several hundred thousand dollars being spent to hire a lobbyist for El Salvador in the United States that was working especially closely with Republican legislators in the United States. And it's unclear right now whether or not that person's still getting paid from the last I've read. Um, but recently Bukele did try to come to the United States and uh, he's now saying that he didn't even try to get meetings with the Biden administration, but there are other reports, credible reports that he did try to get meetings with the Biden administration and the Biden administration refused to meet with him. Um, this certainly had something to do with COVID, right? <laughs> like the Biden administration is trying to avoid face-to-face -face meetings in general, especially with people who've just come in from another country and uh, because of, of travel considerations. Um, but there's also a real sense that this was a, a sign to Bukele that the, the Biden administration is paying attention to the sort of populist anti-authoritarian actions that are going on in the country and that um, uh, taking actions to assure the end of corruption, making sure that there's not deals moving on with criminal gang elements and uh, making sure that the rule of law and democracy is at the forefront will be requirements to have a good relationship with the, the new regime in the United States. Is there anything that I have not asked you which you would like to comment on, Jocelyn? I think there are some interesting parallels between what's happening in El Salvador, what happened in the United States, and certainly what's happened with other populist uh, leaders recently, say in Brazil, in that what people say seems to carry more weight sometimes than what people do. And so um, a lot of people who are frustrated with Bukele right now are pointing out the hypocrisy of saying, you know, I'm, I'm new, we're not gonna do it the same way we've always done it. And then actually bringing people into the party who are the exact same people that uh, he was critiquing before, but they've just given themselves a new party name, but they're the same old politicians. Another thing that Bukele was very critical about when he was a candidate was the fact that former presidential administrations had made deals with the, the criminal gangs in El Salvador to lower the violent rates. Um, and now there's, uh, quite a bit of evidence that Bukele has has made similar kinds of deals with the MASA in, in El Salvador as well. Um, so I think one of the really striking things is that it feels like it's more of the same in terms of corruption, enrichment, um, increasing militarization, uh, uh, making deals with the gangs instead of coming up with real long-term solutions, same people feeling like they're coming into power or staying in power, but it just has this new sort of branding that makes it feel new to some people. And so um, that feels like a new, way of doing politics that's not just happening in El Salvador, but that's happening more broadly. And I hope that, you know, the social scientists of the world can really start to explore what this is and what this means for for governance in, in the years ahead. Thank you very much. 
You've been listening to Jocelyn Viterna, Professor of Sociology at Harvard University and Director of Undergraduate Studies in Sociology. She's also the author of Women in War and has spent 25 years researching and investigating in El Salvador. Thank you very much. Thank you.